Welcome back to a new episode of Let's Shape the Future. I'm your host, Ben Dickinson, and this is the show where I chat with business leaders, inspiring individuals, and more about who and what is shaping the world we live in. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share with any friends, family, or colleagues you think would enjoy the content. Without further ado, let's crack on with episode two of season three as we learn exactly what skills you need to be a successful startup CEO. Have you ever wondered what it takes to be a successful CEO? Well, today's guest on Let's Shape the Future can tell you exactly that. I'm thrilled to be joined by Dane Holwinski, former CEO and VC-backed founder who is now a startup CEO coach and founder of Decode. Thank you, Dane, for taking the time to chat with me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks. So with all of my guests, I like to go back to the very start of their careers. So where did it all begin for you? Hmm. So uh, in, in university, I studied finance and entrepreneurship and psychology, uh, but um, out of school, went into strategy consulting, mm-hmm. one of the big strategy consulting companies where uh, as a very young professional, I was working with kind of C-level executives at Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spent a number of years there out in, in South Africa, really just um, drinking from the fire hose, really being thrown into conversations and situations and strategy discussions that looking back, uh, I'm not sure that I had any real qualifications to be a part of, but um, I guess similarly to the way that founders and entrepreneurs dive into the deep end and, and learn through doing, you know, spent that time really learning a lot about how businesses and organizations operate uh, the impact of leadership on the way that teams work uh, and a, you know, a variety of other um, kind of business and life skills. Um, and at some point in that journey, after about, you know, three or four years, uh, I realized that I felt like I had learned a lot about what it took um, to, to build and grow a successful business. And I was now learning how to be a really good consultant. And I realized that as I looked forward and looked at those people who had chosen that as a career, uh, it really wasn't the life that I wanted. Mm. Um, and so uh, there was a moment where I kind of realized that I was for the end of my journey as a consultant and was looking for what was next. Uh, and as I've done a couple of times in my life, I, I took about a year off. I, I kind of ended... Um, uh, kind of gracefully exited that consulting uh, engagement, which seemed like a very crazy thing to do for the people that knew me, for my family, for my parents. I was on a really beautiful kind of standard trajectory of life, um, but I knew it wasn't for me. So I took it took about a year off. Um, I was a, I am and was a very big kiteboarder, so I was kite surfing. I wrote uh, a novel during that time, which is something that I was feeling inspired to do. Uh, I traveled a bit um, and really was just uh, kind of feeling into what was next for me while also just taking some time to uh, kind of express myself and enjoy life. Mm-hmm. If people have the sort of opportunity and and the funds and that sort of time to time to do that sort of thing, do you think that's like a, a really good process for someone to go through if they're maybe not sure that what they're doing at the moment is what they want to do for the rest of their life? I think, you know, it's obviously a privileged thing to be able to do. Um, uh, but I was fortunate enough to have 
you know, had some success and saved it some money. So I think it's an amazing taking some time, taking a pause, however long that can be, mm. I think is one of the best ways that we can gain perspective. Um, and I'm also one who deeply believes that uh, by kind of going inward and getting to know ourselves and listening to ourselves with this, with, with less distraction, with less busyness, uh, is a great way to kind of connect to success in a broader context, not just, hey, how do I live this external definition of success or how do I make the most money or achieve the next step in my career? What do I truly want for my life? Uh, and there's nothing quite like taking some time, taking some space, reflecting, traveling, going inward to help clarify those things. Mm. It sounds like um, some of those tips there is what we'll probably come on to later in terms of what you um, talk to C-level execs about. So um, moving on to that sort of stuff. So for, for those that, that aren't aware, did you want to provide some background as to, to who Decode are, what you do and what your role in the business entails? Sure. Uh, Decode is a coaching company um, based out of kind of the Silicon Valley, San Francisco Bay Area. And we partner with startup founders and CEOs to help them navigate the intense pressure, opportunity, excitement, challenges of scaling a rapidly growing business. Um, we typically start working with companies kind of in the early stages. They've raised kind of a significant amount of funding, but are still very early mm -hmm. and help that founder, CEO make this transition from early stage founder where they're involved in everything uh, to a true CEO that's building a scalable brand or business. Mm. So to, to that point, do you tend to go searching for clients or do you find that the sort of C-level execs tend to come to you first? How does that sort of relationship normally start? Uh, most of the clients that come to me come through a referral oh, nice. uh, from either a previous client or maybe uh, a VC that has invested in a previous client that was able to witness the work that we've done and the impact on, on the CEO. So I'm fortunate enough to um, have many people come to me and I only work with a relatively small number of people at a time. So the need for people coming to me is not, um, is not massive. And so I tend to have more people coming than I need. Oh, nice. So uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, what does a CEO coach's job and role look like and and what made you want to turn from being a founder yourself to then sort of coaching others yeah i'll break those two questions uh, i'll answer those separately so kind of fast forwarding in my career after consulting i eventually came out to silicon valley uh, and worked in startups um, and i was first uh, an exec an operator kind of running most non-technical business functions uh, over a number of years, and then eventually became a founder. Uh, and so kind of jumped into that myself. Uh, and in my last company that I had founded, uh, I had a coach for the first time and it was a massively transformational experience. Um, and so when I uh, exited that business, I again took some time to really go inward and reflect and decide what was next for me. I oriented on wanting everything I do for the rest of my life uh, to be connected to both purpose and passion. That was what I knew. I didn't know what else that was going to mean. Um, and in taking this time off where I kind of went deeply inward, uh, it became clear to me that my work in the world was to uh, coach startup founders and CEOs, uh, people that were like me, were looking for someone like me 
uh, couldn't actually find someone with the operating experience as well as experience coaching. That was something that I was really looking for as a, as a founder looking for a coach. Um, and I felt just a deep connection to this work. Um, and so I made that transition. That was about uh, probably about six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think your second question was, what is that day-to-day? What does it actually look like for me? Uh, well, uh, it's most of the work that we do is, is through conversation. So whether that is having Zoom conversations with clients, especially now, most everything has shifted to Zoom. Um, and so a combination of live Zoom sessions with clients where we're exploring whatever is most present for them, uh, where I can be a support, I can be a accountability partner, a thought partner, a challenger, a coach. Um, and then I do a bunch of prep work uh, in order to prepare myself for um, those conversations and for that engagement in that journey that we're on together. Uh, so sometimes we're, I'm running 360s and consolidating those. Uh, sometimes I'm reading board decks or other company materials. Uh, I do my own mindfulness, uh, meditation, breathwork practices, both to show up as my best self and also sharing that with clients and a variety of other things that support um, startup CEOs, founders to be them best, their best selves, the best leaders for their companies. Quite varied then on a day-to-day basis. Then. Yeah, very, very varied. It's funny. So um, I was having a look through um, your profile and obviously you've got a lot of testimonials from um, different C-level executives. And it, there was one that sort of struck out to me. And the quote reads that when my COO and I started working with Dane, our relationship was in a challenging phase. Working with Dane, we were supported in having productive, hard conversations, align on a common vision and build the communication skills necessarily, sorry, necessary to operate as partners. So the, the question I'm sort of taking from that quote is, does your role as a CEO coach sometimes have similar characteristics to like a counselor or a therapist be- between stakeholders, as, as weird as that sounds? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question and a common question. Um, so there is overlap, right? If you thought of what is a therapist, what a therapist might do, what does a coach do? You know, there's a Venn diagram where there's overlap. Um, I would say that there's a couple of distinctions that I would highlight. One is uh, the work that we do, the work that I do with clients uh, as a coach is particularly goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're always starting with like, what are your goals? Where do you want to go? What's the vision for your business, for your life? And how do we get there? And so um, when we go into relationships, when we go into our history or our past, our fears, you know, our relationship with our parents, whatever needs, whatever we need to explore, it's always in the service of getting somewhere that you want to go. Uh, and that exploration um, is the natural outcome of taking the steps toward that goal and finding that there's something that's blocking it or that's in the way that needs to shift, that needs to unlock. Yeah, so it's, it's funny because as, as you say, there. when I originally was prepping for this, I, I didn't expect to have those sorts of questions in terms of how it really, like I was thinking this is going to be all business, but if anything, there's a lot of it that's not business related at all. It's all, it's, it's about the the connection between the individuals within the business and how they work together. And as you say, turning up as your best self and that sort of stuff. So to, to that, that sort of leads me on to my next question, which is quite an open question, um, but kind of a big one. So 
Can anyone be a successful CEO? Well, I think it's a yes and a no, right? Okay. So um, I think I think there's a set of uh, there's sort of a, a set of skills or mindset that's required, I think, to be a great CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's just like particular personalities and goals. Like if you don't want to be a, a, a CEO, right? If you, or you don't want to build a great company or business or organization, it's not a good idea to try because it's a really hard thing to do. And you're going to come up against every fear and every challenge and every edge. And if there's not something that is inspiring you or motivating you, that's bigger than the moment, um, you're not going to be particularly satisfied, right? And you may want to get off that that ship as it's sailing. <laughs> um, but I think what's even more interesting is what are those characteristics that I probably have seen and having worked with dozens and dozens of uh, CEOs, like what are those characteristics that I think um, are common that lead to someone both being successful uh, and I think of success always in a broader term than just like, hey, I was successful in building this business. It's also feeling fulfilled in that process and feeling um, not every moment, but generally feeling very satisfied with the choice to go to go be a CEO and to go build a business and to go work toward a vision. I mean, a couple that I like to highlight. Uh, one, I think it's really critical to have curiosity. Uh, I think curiosity, if I was going to identify one characteristic that is critical um, to be successful. It's curiosity. Um, a few others, growth mindset mm-hmm. uh, and ownership mindset. These are like three legs of the stool at a very like mindset foundational level that I think are really critical, really for all humans, uh, for all leaders, and certainly for entrepreneurs and CEOs. Mm. And do you find that the personality traits differ between different C-level executives. So what a CFO might need might be, obviously the personality is going to be completely different to a chief marketing officer, for example. Uh, There are differences for sure. I think each um, functional area uh, tends to attract certain types of people that work well for what's needed. Um, I do most of my work with CEOs, founder CEOs, as you know, um, I have worked with Chris, who was on your podcast before, mm-hmm. who's CMO of Tonal, as well as Ali, who's the CEO. Um, but I typically am working with CEOs and founders. So I have uh, I have less breadth of experience in like a bunch of CFOs and a bunch of CMOs. And I have worked with a few, uh, you know, chief product officers, um, but tend to be founders who then move into a role um, often. And so... Uh, while I do think there are dis- differences in different C-level executives and who's attracted to those roles and who will be successful, uh, I'd say it's not my particular area of expertise. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And obviously, where you've got so much experience with CEOs, have you found over the course of your career that the sort of profile of a successful CEO has changed over time? Like, does a CEO now have some priorities that maybe they wouldn't have had 10, 20 years ago, for example? Mm. You know, I've really been focused as a coach in this work for the past, you know, six years or so. Mm. And so I think over that time period, there have been some shifts. 
there's been some macro and cultural shifts. There's been some shifts in just how work is, is being done right now, for sure, particularly over the last couple of years. Uh, but I don't think there's been fundamental changes in like the characteristic, the raw characteristics that are required to, to be a successful entrepreneur. I think, as you said earlier, with the sort of the growth mindset, the ownership mindset, the curiosity, they're they're not things that are going to change. If if you had them ten years ago, you, you know what I mean. The, um, you're going to need them now um, to be successful in in the role that you've got. Um, so to that point, obviously, as employees, we're drummed into us that it's so important to have like a structured development plan with goals and milestones to achieve. How important is it for CEOs and other executives to do the same? Do they do the same? And is that an important exercise for them? I think it's an absolutely critical exercise in the same way it is for any employee or any human that wants to, to be their best, who wants to grow. Uh, I think I'm fortunate in that the CEOs and founders that, that I work with are those that are really committed to doing that, that's, that's, that's why we're working together. Um, and the way I like to orient to that question is particularly for founder CEOs of kind of fast growing early stage companies. I tend to work with venture backed um, entrepreneurs. And so when you have success in that sort of business, the growth is incredibly rapid. Um, the growth of the team, the growth of the business uh, can just be phenomenal. And the reality is the role changes every six to 12 months. And so it's really not good enough as a startup CEO to just be good at your job today. Even if you're perfectly qualified to do what you're doing now, um, you need to always be looking forward, just like you need to be looking forward for the business of who's the leader that this business needs six months from now, 12 months from now. You know, where are there gaps in my uh, skill set or the way that I'm operating today versus where I need to be? Uh, and how do I basically fill those gaps uh, before the company needs them so that I'm not slowing down the trajectory of the business with my own growth? Or I don't get to a point where I've hit my ceiling and um, the board or the business needs to choose to potentially bring in a more experienced CEO because the founder CEO uh, wasn't able to grow fast enough for the business, which again, sometimes that's a choice a, a founder CEO will make because they see the potential for the business and they see that maybe someone else could do a better job of realizing that. Mm -hmm. But we always wanna make that be the choice of the founder uh, as opposed to the choice of a board or, um, or kind of forced from the outside. And as you say, these um, startups, especially at the stages that you interact with them, they're going through hyper growth. Like, as you say, they're just on that exponential curve. And the, the sort of point I'm taking from there is a CEO has to be at their best for the business to run at its best. Um, and you mentioned earlier about how you have things like mindfulness and meditation and stuff. Is that something you encourage CEOs to um, resonate with and to uh, are those sorts of exercises um, part of the coaching that you do with them as well as the business side topics? A hundred percent. So I take a very 
um, holistic approach, you could call it, to coaching. Uh, I actually think it's counterproductive to separate the professional from the personal, particularly for uh, an entrepreneur, a founder, because as they know, the, the work is so intertwined. They're like birthing something, right? And so to separate their personal from the professional doesn't really make sense. Anything that happens outside of work is going to impact how they show up at work. Anything that's happening at work is going to impact them outside of work. And so it's really about um, unleashing the full potential of the whole human, right? Who is a leader? Who is a CEO? Uh, and if you skip that, it, it doesn't really work. Uh, managing stress, managing mindset, um, being able to show up in hard conversations, like it requires practice um, in order to do that. And so one of the things I always work with my clients on and highly encourage is creating these foundational practices um, that they're doing uh, daily, weekly, monthly that help them perform at their best. And some of those things were, uh, you know, meditation is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, breathwork, I'm a breathwork facilitator and bring in breathwork help to shift states, to unlock insights, not just from the mind, but through the emotional and physical intelligence that we also carry. Um, it could be journaling. There's, there's a variety of practices. And I really work with each client to customize those things that feel best for them and that work for them. Exercise, like these are all, we got to take care of our body, our mind, our emotions, our mindset uh, in order to show up as a great leader before we even get to how do you manage people? How do you inspire people? How do you build a great company? Do you find that sometimes people are hesitant to try those things like meditation or those sorts of things is sometimes there's um, a bit of a perception around meditation and like whether or not it actually works. And obviously there's so many advocates for it, but do you find that some people are a bit hesitant to sort of adopt those processes at first? Uh, I think people fall on a spectrum based on their familiarity with the practices. Uh, I approach everything with clients as an experiment. And so the nice thing is people that I think are attracted to being founders and entrepreneurs uh, are usually pretty open-minded and resonate with like, well, let's just try it and see. And so that's the, the mode I come with just about everything that we do is, hey, there's a lot of people that say meditation has transformational impact on the way you're able to show up as a human and as a leader. Um, you may or may not know if that's true, but would it be worth a two week experiment to like, let's meditate for 10 minutes a day and just see how you feel after two weeks or after a week. Uh, and that's how we approach things. And then with that experiment, we, we learn, we grow, we shift, we, we take in the learnings, we throw out the stuff that's not working and, and we continue to iterate. I think it's a good point you made there. It's a lot of the startups that I've spoken to, and it's quite a common thing, as you say, within them is, even within their their product and their their sort of business, it's let's try it and see. It's always a because we're just we, they are a disruptor. They're in a disruptive industry, um, so it makes sense for that to translate into their personal life as well. Because if they just if they say, "Oh, let's just try it," and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but um, it can have a monumental impact on them. Um, so. What are some of the sort of common topics that C-level execs will come to you with a, a need for advice? Hmm. I like to break down 
um, I like to break down the topics into a few kind of buckets. Mm. Uh, so uh, one bucket is what I call like management skills, right? How do I manage and get the best out of the people that are working directly for me? Um, how do I communicate? How do I give feedback? How do I hold people accountable? How do I delegate? Those sorts of things. Um, the second bucket I differentiate as sort of like leadership. Uh, how do I communicate a vision, a strategy? How do I inspire the team? How do I create culture? Um, how do I communicate values? Uh, how do I do that both internally as well as externally, you know, leadership uh, type topics? Uh, there's what I call like managing, let's say, the energy system, right? Like how do I manage my stress? How do I uh, manage my energy to make sure I'm showing up at my best? How do I get into flow state? How do I uh, kind of show up every day in a way that serves the business? Um, so that's, I consider it all kind of like in some ways managing mindset, energy, physical aspects of, of this really hard work. And then the final um, bucket, I, I kind of bucket as interpersonal or interrelational. So this is where, you know, leading is, is about relating. So you're relating with individuals, you're relating with teams, you're relating with investors, you're relating with board members. So there are a series of relationships that exist and uh, someone's ability to productively and positively manage relationships uh, enables them to raise funding and manage their board and get them on board and manage a team and inspire them. And so um, this interpersonal, interrelational, emotional intelligence aspect of being a great leader and CEO and founder uh, is the fourth bucket. When you put it like that, you don't like, I didn't realize that there was such a breadth of things that these sorts of people have to think about um in terms of running their organization but do you do you find that sometimes when they address one of the buckets or one part within a bucket they then realize that maybe their personality doesn't suit that part of the role so therefore they then find areas that they then delegate to someone who's better at it than they are for example yeah i think there's a small number of things let's using the ceo as the example that like the CEO kind of has to do. Uh, and then there's a lot of things that, especially as the business grows, they, they actually don't have to do. And so I do think identifying what strengths you have, mm. right? Where, what you enjoy, what you're great at, like what you what value you can uniquely add and identify what those things are and find out those other areas where it isn't energizing, you're not as good at, there are other people that are better at and, and building the right team, right? Or set of humans around yourself and around the business is really critical. And particularly as you think about a business scaling, um, it very quickly moves from, hey, I've got to know everything, be involved in everything. And I'm the best person to make almost every decision within this business, maybe outside of the technical stuff, if you're not technical, um, to I need to surround myself with, with people that are better than me at every area that they're responsible for. And I need to learn how to lead and manage a group of people with way more experience, way more depth of knowledge in all of these different functional areas and, and get the most out of them. And that's just a very, very different 
job, right? So if you think about that journey from one end of that spectrum to the other end of that spectrum, you know, there's a lot that needs to shift in order to do those things well. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point because as you say, it's like they're sort of giving away pieces of their baby. Basically, they've, they've nurtured this thing to an amazing level. And now it's to the point where they can't do everything themselves. Otherwise, the business won't grow. And that's probably quite a tough thing for them to accept. Obviously, it's probably quite exciting in, in the same respect. But I can imagine they're normally quite nervous, or it depends on the personality, but I can imagine it can be quite nervous to to give up part of it because it, it's sort of that, I, I, I feel like I could maybe do it better myself because I've done it so well so far, but it's important to then realise that there are people that can do it as good, if not better than maybe you can, and it's important to bring those in, otherwise the business will never really, really grow. 100%. And it is a challenge that, um, often at some point we'll work with, right? This ability to delegate, but really to trust others mm -hmm. and to be comfortable sometimes knowing that um, people might do it differently than you would do it. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that you should do it. They may do it only 80% as well as you would do it. That still doesn't mean that you should do it, right? These are some of the questions that come up um, because as you mentioned, as you're scaling, uh, you know, one person only has so much time, only has so much energy that they can focus and, and actually determining what those areas are to focus on, how to prioritize your time, your energy is one of the most critical skills um, in, in scaling as a, a founder CEO. That, that sort of moves me on to my next point. So obviously, we've spoken a lot about what makes a CEO successful, but what, in your opinion, sort of are the key things that make a startup in general successful? Does a lot of it come from having successful or the leaders that are turning up as their best selves that will then encourage the startup to be as successful as possible? I think it's a critical factor. Um, it's a, a necessary but not sufficient condition, so to speak. So I do think the founders have an inordinate impact on the business, the culture, the team. And so really starting from that place and really working with founders and CEOs, uh, because whatever, whatever strengths and weaknesses they have like reverberates down through the whole business often. And so if they can show up as their best self, if they can show up with um, without massive blind spots, having worked through some of their fears or the edges or issues that naturally arise for all of us. And they do that work and can like shift some of those maybe more destructive patterns or patterns that can have negative consequences to a team. That's a great starting point. Um, but there's just an investment in finding amazing people, in creating great teamwork within the team at building an amazing culture that encourages, uh, you know, creativity and experimentation and learning and curiosity and growth uh, is really critical. Um, having a vision, having a mission, having values, you know, things that unite the team toward a common end. Uh, you know, they're, they're just a few of the things that are really critical for the whole organization to be successful. And this is all sort of like sitting on a foundation of, you know, um, 
some, you know, we call product market fit a, a, a term that is very popular, which is, hey, there's a problem in the world. We found a way to, uh, or an opportunity. We found a way to address this that um, kind of meets the needs in the world or meets the needs of consumers or of businesses uh, in a way that is replicable, that in a way that can create real value. Um, and that's all, that's critical as well. Obviously without that, uh, there's nothing to scale and there's nothing to grow. I think it's also, um, obviously everything you said is, is exactly what I was thinking. And there's also the the side of it's important for businesses not to lose that as they grow as well, because that's what's made them so successful. And you find in much larger organizations, if they lose that spark, that's when they the growth stops and their market share starts to get disrupted by all the others that are coming through. So as you say, it's as important to have that during growth, but then also not to lose that um, as otherwise all the work that they've done will sort of become stagnant as such. Um, so obviously you mentioned earlier that I had um, Chris Stadler on the, on the podcast and obviously he, he's an, he's an amazing individual and, and Tonal, a, an amazing company. And I know you work with, with Chris and, and Ali. So what do you like so much about Tonal specifically and why is someone like Ali and the rest of the Tonal team so successful in running their business? Hmm. Well, first I, I want to start with, you know, I have a Tonal here in my, <laughs> nice. in my home. and it's an absolutely spectacular product mm. it is on par with with like the iphone in terms of the impact that it immediately had in my life uh in in a positive way i don't i, I imagine people that are listening remember the first time they got like an iphone or an amazing smartphone and just how how miraculous the experience of using that was and how, what a order of magnitude improvement over anything that, that at least I had used before. I just remember that feeling of magic uh, for a piece of like technology to just improve my life and make things so easy and seamless and solve so many challenges in so many ways, like right out of the gate. Um, and so first I think just, it's an exceptional product and experience uh, and, you know, I'm healthier uh, I think I'm healthier now than I've been in decades because uh, I have this thing uh, sitting in my home and I, I use it just about every day. Uh, so the, the foundationally there's, there's the product. Um, and then, you know, I think uh, Ali, who I've worked with for a long time from just after they raised the series A uh, all the way through to now. So they were, you know, uh, I don't know, a small number of people in a small little office uh, in San Francisco, they hadn't launched the product. They're two years before product launch. Uh, so very, very early stage. Uh, and I think a few things that characterize Ali and Tonal as a company, uh, some of the things I already mentioned, just this real commitment to growth and learning, mm -hmm. uh, total curiosity, uh, this real kind of mission and values driven approach. Ali is just an incredible human being to start with. He really knows the impact that he wants to have in the world, but does so with an openness to others. Uh, there's this real balance I think that is um, important. You need to like be open enough to create a team that is inspired to work with you to create a vision, but also be able to maybe look out a little further than most others to see uh, a version of the world in which 
in this case, like uh, technology can support um, people to be their strongest uh, and inspire people to come along on that journey, to contribute to that journey, uh, and eventually to really like own that journey along. And I think Ali has done an incredible job at that. He's been so committed to like his own personal growth, his own development as a human, as a leader. Um, and I think that trickles down throughout the organization. Uh, he has then attracted uh, amazing leaders like Chris around him that have an amazing amount of expertise that are also committed both to the vision of the impact they wanna have on the world, but also the company that they're building um, and the impact that they're having for all of the humans that have opted to join them on that journey toward helping people be healthier, be stronger, be more confident, um, use data and technology uh, in order to like do something that for many people can be really challenging and hard to be consistent with, but ultimately has such a massive impact on our quality of lives, our well-being, our happiness. Mm-hmm. Like that, when I was speaking to Chris, I was like, "This this company is gonna go so far." Like, um, the as you say, the product's amazing, but just speaking to individuals like Chris and like Ali, um, you realize that there is a foundational part of that business that is gonna encourage success. And um, I, for one, cannot wait for them to come to the UK. <laughs> um, so obviously, we've spoken a lot about success. There's there's also a flip side to startups, which is that. Unfortunately, a lot of startups do fail nowadays, a large percentage of them. You mentioned some of the key characteristics for success. What are some of the sort of main reasons why so many startups don't succeed nowadays? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to, I like to offer for all the entrepreneurs or founders or potential founders out there that are listening is um, start, some startups are going to fail right? That's, that's how the game is organized. That's how the, the game is organized, right? These are big bets. Um, they're made very early. Uh, and it's sort of a diversification, like from a macro level, right? There's a lot of investment going into all of these potential areas and businesses that have the potential to be very massive and impactful. Uh, some of those are going to work and some of those aren't going to work. And so I think one of the Uh, important mindset elements for a founder or CEO is first to just recognize that that's that's a a possible outcome and to not see it as uh, just to to be able to like look at that in the eye or look at the reality of the situation of the choice that you're making uh, in that I don't know what the stats are now, but something like, I don't know, 10% of companies make it to the series A that like raise a seed or something like that. You know, it's there's a, there's a big filter and it, and it gets very small over time. And so this chance that the startup doesn't work is, is a real chance. And so there are some fundamental pieces around like, you know, product market fit, like what's the problem you're solving? Can you find uh, a market for that product or that service or that experience? So I think there's some fundamental um, things there that like, Hey, if you, if you can never quite find that uh, then Again, you can have the best team and you can have the best mindset. Uh, and I think you might be able to find ways to pivot to something else if you have mm-hmm. those things, but you can't, you, you know, you can't make something that doesn't actually create value uh, into a successful business just through like your own will or great practices. 
Um, so that's one. I think when you kind of take a step beyond that into like, how do humans impact the success or failure of an endeavor or a startup, right? Some startups fail, some startups succeed, some startups that look very similar when they start, some fail and some succeed. Like what are the, what's the Delta there? Um, and so I think it's really the inverse of some of the things that I mentioned, right? Um, this lack of curiosity, right? This belief that I know better, right? Than the potential users or potential customers. I have a vision that's so fixed, right? That I'm not willing to take input, to run experiments, to learn, to shift, to grow. Uh, I think could be one thing that can really um, trip, trip people up. Uh, a second is, you know, this ability you mentioned before, uh, this lack of ability to delegate and to scale oneself as uh, a founder or as an early stage leader or as a CEO, uh, if if you're not willing to bring in better people to open up delegate to delegate to actually take the input from others that may have different perspectives or experiences than you, uh, that can also choke the momentum of a business and take a business that otherwise has a potential path to great success and turn that into one that never, never met its full potential. Mm. Um, I think that that certainly can happen. And then another thing that uh, you see a lot um, when you're, when you're in the mud um, is, is really relation. Like there's a lot of businesses that fail because relationships break down that are critical for success. So that could be co-founder relationships breaking down. That could be relationships between investors, board members, and the founders. It could be relationships with critical um, team members. Uh, it's, it's hard to overestimate how often the relational dynamic ends up creating um, issues that businesses can't or don't recover from. Mm. It's quite interesting because a lot of what you said as to why businesses fail is decisions that executives will make and how they actually approach. So a lot of it, if you've got the the product, as you say, the product market fit is there, it all comes down to the individuals within the business that are going to make it a success or, or, or a failure. Um, so no, that's really, really, really interesting. Um, so just before we before we round up, if you had one piece of advice for anyone listening, so that could be C-levels, employees, or aspiring future CEOs, what would that be? Hmm. Put you on the spot there. <laughs> I, I like it. And I, I don't want to just repeat what I said. So I'm going to say it in a slightly different way. Uh, I think the greatest skill, uh, one of the greatest skills as a, as a human uh, who wants to feel fulfilled, to achieve their goals, to reach their full potential is like the willingness to see things as they are, mm -hmm. to not um, either move and kind of resist reality through either looking at the world through this big lens of fear that then uh, makes the world look a certain way or through like the way we want the world to be, or we want ourselves to be, or we want people to see us and look at things in a certain way. Um, Cause that leads that egoic attachment leads to a lot of distortions 
to reality and not in like the positive way they sometimes say CEOs have this distortion field. Like if that's conscious, okay, you can help create a reality that doesn't exist. But I think for the, at the human level, we spend so much time resisting reality, like resisting what is actually true in this moment um, versus accepting reality. And then from that place, taking the step forward and moving in the direction we want to move. So that could be looking at ourselves and seeing where we're strong and seeing where maybe we're not so strong. Uh, the patterns that we have that contribute to situations in our life that aren't the way that we want them to be. Um, it could be our business and uh, the ways in which it has paths to success or it could potentially fail uh, to you know, the people in our lives and how they support us or you know, how those relationships support us or don't support us and how we might be able to shift them. You know, it, it's, a, it's almost the most fundamental skill. The first thing we need to do in order to like effectively and efficiently change in a way that we want to change, grow in a way we want to grow, achieve the success that we want to achieve, whatever that might be, is to first like engage with reality as it actually is. Uh, and if you're able to do that and have this solid ground on which you can stand, and off of which you can push to move in the direction you want to go. Like that's half the battle, frankly. So many people spend so much time um, fighting against a reality that they've created in their minds. Uh, and so orienting and grounding into like the raw truth as the starting point is something I think everyone could benefit from. Nice. I don't, I don't think there's much else I can add to that. I think that's, that's a great answer. Um, so just to, to to finish off, if anyone wants to find out some more information about yourself or Decode or the companies that you work with, where's the best place for them to do so? Yeah, you can um, learn more at decode.coach mm -hmm. uh, where you'll hear a bunch about um, coaching, the different types of coaching that, that we offer. You'll also see some videos of uh customers communicating in their own words about the impact that coaching has had on them and their teams and their businesses. Nice. I'll, um, I'll leave the link to decode.coach in the description for you as well. Um, so yeah, Dane, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Um, it's been amazing to learn what it takes to be a successful CEO, as well as the key characteristics as to why startups succeed, but also why they maybe sometimes fail plus so much more. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Thank you, Ben. It's been amazing for me as well. And that's it for this week's episode of Let's Shape the Future. A big thank you to Dane for joining me. If you enjoyed the content, please remember to subscribe and share with anyone you think would also enjoy the content. We've got some great episodes coming up for the rest of season three. Next week, we're joined by Penilla Johansson, the Chief Design Officer at Electrolux. So definitely not one to be missed. Keep an eye out as it goes live next week. <laughs>